Second Samuel chapter 12, 18 through 24, there's a, a story here that is so, um, uh, well, it's a powerful story. You'll, you know the story of David and Bathsheba, and so David um, entered into uh, sin, a sinful relationship with Bathsheba, and so they have a child, and uh, because of the con- just the consequences of everything, um, we know that the child is at death's door, and so David is absolutely heartbroken. He's, he's fasting, he's mourning, he's praying. Um, but some, some time between uh, when the prophet comes and talks to him and it basically uh, calls him to a higher level, he speaks to him and he says, you know, you know the story, you can read in the verses prior to that, how um, Nathan starts describing uh, a man who is, uh, you know, not a good man. And how he had some actions that weren't good. And, and then Nathan says, actually, David, you're the man. And so sometime between then and between this where we're going to get into, we see, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he, 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 he turns himself to the Lord. He, he, he returns to the Lord. And he repents. And then there's a progression of something that happens here that I think everyone could take note of. No matter where you are in your life, how many would just say, I have some things in my life that I'm believing for, and sometimes the circumstances that I'm in don't reflect the promise that God has. (laughs) Okay, so I, I, I think there's some really cool keys here that we see in this scripture. Let's just read it together. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he didn't listen or hear her voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? So they're they're scared to tell the truth. They're scared to let him know what's going on. And then it says, But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. Okay, then. Technical difficulties temporary. Please stand by. Oh, there we go. Uh, And uh, so David said to his servant, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. If you see something in a different color up there, I'd like you to say it out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. He is dead. Wow, that sounds encouraging. (laughs) And then he goes on. He says, so David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, And changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord. And he worshipped. Then he came to his own house. And when when he requested, they set food before him. And he ate. And then his servant said to him, What's this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you rose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he has died, and why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Well, uh, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in to her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. All right. So there's this beautiful narrative here, the story of, of, of David, and this, it's more of a restoration of a promise, realizing that, that this part of his life is dead, and I have a choice to make. 
He's, he said, like, and I, I get it, you know, we believe in the resurrection of the dead, but I want to tell you something. Sometimes you have things in your life that God doesn't want resurrected. Don't, don't, don't pray and ask God to resurrect something that's dead, that, he, that, that his intent was saying, I've got something better for you. Okay? So it's, it's amazing. Like, so many times we do, we struggle with that, and I struggle with that at times where I feel like, man, I really feel this is the Lord, this should happen, and then it doesn't happen, and the situation's dead, and I'm going, but God, I, I thought this was it. And at that moment in time, there's, you cross this, there's this decision you make. Am I going to trust God for my future, or am I going to still try to resurrect something that he never wanted resurrected in the first place? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't believe for resurrection. I'm talking, I mean, resurrection of the dead, we believe in that. But I, I mean, even resurrecting promises and stuff. But that's not where I'm going with this. I'm taking it out of the context, in the context of the scripture here. And just to know that. So just nudge your neighbor and say, sometimes... You need to leave things alone. But God, this doesn't fit my plan. This isn't what I thought would happen. I thought it was going to go like this, and now it's not going like this. And sometimes you just need to leave it alone. See, that's that hard, hard, that's that, it, like as, as humans, we want to we do things. We want to resurrect things. We want to keep things alive. And we need to discern and be able to know when God's saying, it's okay, you need to let this thing die so that I can give you something that's even better. So we're going we're gonna to look at this, and, and it's amazing, this scripture, there, there are eight words in this, or eight phrases really, in this scripture that I want to speak of. Um, first of all, in there, not, in, not in, on the slides or anything, but the word Solomon, so it was interesting, so... The thing that David thought was so special and, and, and he really, really wanted to live, God's saying, no, let it go. But I'm going to give you something better. And so what he did is she gives birth, Bathsheba gives birth to Solomon. Well, what does Solomon mean? Peace. He says, you know what, you're trying to, you're trying, and think of the consternation that David was in when he was trying to deal with all this stuff. He'd, he'd, he'd you know, he'd put, he'd put uh, Bathsheba's husband out on the front lines and was killed, along with others. So there was killing, there was, there was adultery, there was lying, there was all this stuff that was just... I can't imagine what he was going on, the inner battle that was going on inside of him. And then he's thinking, well, maybe if, if now, now that she's pregnant, maybe this son will, will help things. It'll, 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 it'll get better from here. And God's saying, no, actually... You're living in this life right now of consternation and striving and, and um, disappointment. You're living in this, this, all these mixed emotions of all this stuff. And I'm saying, you need to let that go so I can give you peace. So Solomon. And then, and then, then Nathan, the prophet, you know, as they would do often, is they would give them a name. Although he's known as the name, you know, by, by the name Solomon. But he said, his name's Jedediah. His name's Solomon, but he calls him Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord, friend of the Lord, beloved of Jehovah. That's pretty cool. All right. So I want to look. There's a few things here that will help you and help me um, embrace the new and, and get on to what God has for our lives. Okay? And the first one is this. This is a really, really simple thing. Just say this with me. One, two, three. Get up! Okay, <laughs> let's try that again. One, two, three. Yeah. yeah. 
Get up. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Get up. Uh, you'll see in many places in Scripture, when the Lord speaks to someone and wants them to get into a new promise or something that he has for them that's, that's better than their current situation, he always tells them to get up. See it all the time. Abram gets this promise in Genesis chapter 12. And it says, the Lord said to Abram, get up. Go forth from your own country and from your own relatives and from your father's house to the land in which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And you shall see that in you and in you you'll see that all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham got up and went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a common, um, almost like a foundational principle of God. If you want to step into something new, you need to get up. So you, you need to get, off, get up off that thing, you know. And <laughs> you need to get up. And it's so easy in the middle of it when, when we're in disappointment. God's saying, get up for my sake. Get up. Just get up. Start by just getting up. Just to step up, get up out of whatever it is you're in, disappointment, disillusionment, confusion. And you just need to get up. It's like this. When you fly in an airplane, it can be cloudy and rainy on the ground. But at 35,000 feet, the sun's shining if you're flying in the daytime. No matter where you go in the world. You gotta get up. And so part of this thing, I think when he's promised to Abraham, he says, You need to get up. You need to the promise that I'm promising you, the thing I have for you, is not here. You gotta get up. Then you see in Genesis 19, another, another example, Genesis 19, verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters, and he said, Get up and get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he appeared to his sons, uh, it appeared to his sons-in-law that he was jesting. But so, so there are times when God just says, get up. Nudge your neighbor and tell him, you need to get up. This is good. Exodus, Exodus 12. Then he called, Exodus 12, 31. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night. And he said, get up. And get, a mount, uh, get, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go and worship the Lord, as you've said. See, the big thing about Moses and taking the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, was that uh, he went to, when he went to Pharaoh, what, he said to, what did he say to him? He said, we want to get up and get out of here so that we may worship. That's what he said. He said that. He went to him. The, the whole thing was about a place where they could worship. They were in bondage, and he said... Let my people go that we may worship. So he's like, you got to get up. All right, we'll keep on going. Let it sink in. Then in Exodus chapter 14, Moses said to the people, this is good. This is so good. So they, they get up and they get out and then the people start grumbling because they're wandering around a little bit. And they've got to they've cross over now. They've got to cross over the Red Sea. And it says this, it says, But Moses said to the people, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see again, forever. And the Lord will fight for you, and you just need to keep silent. Interesting. And the Lord said to Moses, this is so beautiful, Why are you crying out? So they're at the Red Sea. So we're at this point where it's like, hey, God, you promised we, you, we'd, you'd break through for us. And, 
it's, he defaults to what he always did. He gets to the Red Sea, and then he starts crying out to God. <laughs> I'm crying out to, oh God, God, what are you going to do? God, do something. He's crying out to God, but God says to him here, he says this, he says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to get up and go forward. And so when they got up and went forward, it happened, and they went across on dry ground. They get across, and then the very breakthrough for them was the demise of the enemy. And it, it, it crushed the, all the Egyptians that were following him. All right, there's another good one. Let's go to Joshua 3. Joshua 3. It's a good book. Yes, it is, Josh. Joshua chapter 3. Um, they're, they're now, now, so what's happened? You know the story. So they've come across. They've, they've got, gotten up out of Egypt. Now they're in the wilderness wandering. And um, because of disobedience and issues that they had, uh, it was only, they were only allowed Joshua and Caleb, the ones who saw what God wanted them to see and believed the report, believed for it, believed the promise, were able to enter into the promise. And so Joshua now, they're at the, they're at the Jordan, and they're about to enter in, and they're going to take Jericho. And he says here, it says, he's giving instructions in Joshua chapter 3 on how to proceed and how to get into the promise. Joshua, verse 1, rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. And all the Israelites lodged there before passing over. You've told, I, I've, I've shared this before, and I think if it's one thing that will ever stick with you, it'll probably be this. But if you're going to step into what God wants, we all have to leave Shittim behind. Does anyone ever remember me saying that before? Okay, some people do. Okay, good. Yeah. And you're shit em. I mean, everyone's got a shit em. Everyone's got shit em in their life. But we need to decide and purpose in our hearts to leave, whatever that might be. It could be the comfort of something. It could be, um, it could be a good thing, but God has something that's the best thing. It could be familiarity. It could be, uh, you know, um, it, whatever it may be. You fill in the blank. It's not always just bad stuff. You know what I mean? So you've got to get up. So he, 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 it says there, it says, um, and so they went out. Verse number two, after three days, the officers went through the camp, commanding the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God, born by the Levitical priests, set out from where you are and follow it. Get up and follow it. Get up and follow his presence. Get up and follow his leading. Yet a space must be between you for about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it so that you may be able to see the ark and know the way you must go, for you have not gone this way before. The promise God has for you, you haven't been in, you haven't been in that before. And so leave the space. Can you just fix my phone so it doesn't always keep shutting off, please? Thanks. You got to leave the space. Uh, leave the space so you can see the presence. Don't rush ahead, but just watch and wait for wait for the presence of God. And then he goes up. Take verse number six. Take up. He said to the priest, "Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people." And they took it up and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, "This day I will begin to magnify you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know as I was with Moses, so I will be with you." And you will command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Notice they're not sitting there. You're supposed to get up and stand in it. Some, some people, I, I really feel that some, like the domino effect of God's breakthrough in your lives, in my life, 
starts with me saying, I'm not going to sit under this. I'm not going to sit in the cloud of this. I'm not going to be discouraged by these. I'm going to get up. So David got up. David got up. Ha, so good. All right. How about the next one? This is really, really, really interesting. It's, this is like such a simple word, but it's so powerful. What did he do? Wash yourself. What are you talking about? Get up and wash yourself. Well, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about how to function and how to operate in the things of God and have, have, the, um, you know, have God flowing in your life and how do I know his plan? How can I, how can I walk with God? And it lists all these things that you, know, you should re- remain, or refrain from. But then he says this. He says, Christ also loved, this, loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the... You gotta, if you, wanna, you want breakthrough, you've got to get up out of your funk and wash yourself with the word. And the word for word there is rhema, which is the now freshly spoken word of God, the illuminated, revelatory word of God. Uh, I believe that the washing of the word primarily is, is this word. I get that, that it's this word, the living word, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Okay, so that's, let's just establish that. Did anyone, did anyone, did anyone ever sing that song when you were a kid? Wow, that's amazing, you know? God's word will never fail, never fail, never fail. So, it, but it, the, the word there is rhema, that the washing, that you'll be sanctified by the washing of the word. You wash yourself with the word. You wash yourself with God's promises over your life. And it's the rhema, the freshly spoken word of God, the now word of God, the word for the moment. So when I'm in a, in a situation that's doom and gloom, what's the word of the Lord in that situation? Get up, okay, good, yeah, get up. And the word, the washing of the word is to wash yourself with the promises of God, to wash yourself with the word. I just get all that junk off me. I wash myself with the word. I'm getting cleaned up. You know, I feel like I've been dumped on. I asked the question at the, at the immersion. I think it was at the immersion. I said, how many have ever been pooped on by a bird? Was it at the immersion? I, asked that, I don't know why I asked that question. I can't remember the context, but let's just for sake of jollies. How many have been pooped on by a bird before? Anybody? Hold your hand up high. Wave it around. Yeah, see, even more. This is amazing. I can't believe that. I remember I was outside my house one day. This was years ago. And I was mowing the grass, I think. And I was going inside. And all of a sudden, bloop, bloop. And I'm like, what is that? And it's wet. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And I got pooped on by a bird. But the deal is, you know, you get around people sometimes that aren't so happy about your destiny and about what God has for you. Jealousy is a devil. The spirit of jealousy is right from the pit of hell. It has nothing to do with God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, we celebrate one another. In God's kingdom, we celebrate what God has for you. We don't have this mindset, well, if God blesses him, then there won't be enough blessing for me. So that's a poverty mindset. It's not in the kingdom. Just get that stinking thinking out of your head. But how do I get that stinking thinking out of my head? I wash myself with the word. What are your promises? I want to wash off that bird poop. I want to, I want to wash that off. I don't. So get up. Wash yourself. 
Remind yourself of the promises God's had on your life. Dreams unfulfilled. Prophecies given. Words highlighted in the Bible. Things that God spoke into your heart. Now more than ever, when you're just getting up out of your funk, you get up and you wash yourself. And I just wash myself with those words. Oh, it's like refreshing. You know, words are refreshing. They can be very destructive, but they can be very refreshing. You need to listen to the right words. You need to speak the right words. Be washed. Nudge your neighbor and say, you could use a shower. <laughs> what, what's the third thing you did? One, two, three, let's say it. Anoint yourself. Isn't that interesting? David got up, washed himself. He didn't then wait for somebody to come and anoint him. He anointed himself. See, custom was when you're in mourning, you'd wear sackcloth and you'd put ashes on so you looked like doom and gloom. You looked like death warmed over. And so he washed all that stuff off, but then he anointed himself. There's something about they would anoint themselves with oil so that their skin would shine and be radiant, be bright. And so it was, it was, it was very, very actually symbolic of what God does. You know the word Christ? What does Christ mean? Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. To anoint means to smear. It means to rub. So to anoint yourself means, and, and when we say here anoint, what did he anoint himself? He anointed himself with oil. So what is oil symbol of? Holy Spirit. Wow. So you can wash yourself with the word, but then you can anoint yourself with oil. He anoints me with fresh oil. He, he prepares a table, bef a, tab a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints me with fresh oil. He anoints me with oil. Ha. Yeah, thy horn have you anointed. Have you exalted and anointed? Like that of a wild ox. Ooh. When I get anointed, sometimes things get a little wild. So he anointed himself. And I think that's also connected to encouraging self, himself in the Lord. Matthew 6, 17 says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. Don't be like the hypocrites that want to put on a show so everybody knows they're fasting, you know? Um, I think it's funny in, in, in <laughs> how people, well, anyway, we wouldn't even go there, I guess. But <laughs> if I ever brag about or tell you about I'm, I'm fasting and all that kind of stuff, although I don't like fasting, and... Um, uh, if, if, God, if God, you know, speaks to my heart for fasting, but I, I, I'm, the page I'm on right now is God's invited us to feast. That's the page I'm on right now. And I get it. Some people God calls to fast and stuff, but I'm called to feast on him. Anyway, and so, so, but the thing is, I'm not bashing fasting, okay? You can sort that out with the Lord. But in my life, too many times, a fast has been nothing more than a hunger strike. For me, I'm talking about for me personally. Okay, I'm going to fast and pray for a breakthrough. As if my performance would do something to release God over me, you know. And so anything, anything that has to do with, um, well, yeah, let's just say this. Religion says do. Grace says done. <laughs> Anytime you would add something to the glorious gospel, that I would have to do something, I got to do this, I got to do that, you're, you're, you're stepping into religious stuff now. Anyway, 
there's so, there's, there's so much on that you could, do, you could say, but Jesus does say this, when you fast, he didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites that go around and they put ashes and sackcloth on so everybody in the world knows they're fasting. We're old, look at them, they're so holy, they're fasting. He says, no, 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 wash yourself, anoint your face with oil. Because this is a thing between you and me. This isn't between you and everybody else, right? So anyway, anoint yourself. Ha, smear yourself, all right? How about this one here? How do I break through? How, what do I do? There's another one. Go ahead. Change your clothes. I've said this so many times. You've probably heard me say it before, but you need to dress for where you're going, not where you're from. Dress for where you're going. In life, like prepare for where you're going. Where am I going? What am I doing? Well, I'm going to dress for where I'm going. I'm not going to dress for what I, where, what I came from. Look at Lazarus. Lazarus gets resurrected from the dead. <laughs> and he comes out and he's still got his grave clothes on. He's still got his, I got the clothes on that I'm wearing from where I just came from. And what does Jesus say? He said, now you guys, loose him and let him go. Take those clothes off of him because he's not living in the death anymore. He's now in resurrection life. So don't wear these death, res death clothes anymore. You're not dead. I'm, you're living in resurrection life. We sang about it this morning. We sang about it this morning. And uh, Isaiah 61, it says, verse 3, it says, Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You want to break heaviness off your life? Begin to praise. It's as simple as that. Like, it's so simple. I can't believe it. But I don't feel like praising. When all that stuff's happening, yeah, well, you're still wearing that heaviness with the bird poop on it. You get up, at, not just in a corporate gathering. I'm talking about when you're at home, when you're in the kitchen, when you're in the garage, when you're in your car, singing, praising at the top of your lungs. You want to see something break off you, heaviness break off you? Just begin to praise. Turn your gaze on him and begin to praise. Yeah. So he, he changed his clothes. He changed his clothes. You can't experience the promise that God has for you dressed in the, in the, in the, in the uh, disappointment of yesterday. If I want to embrace what God has for me, it's so good. I, I got to get up out of that. Get up. Wash myself, anoint myself, change my clothes. Ah, oh, come on. I do things sometimes like these, like these um, prophetic acts sometimes, you know. Sometimes God will say things to me about that. There was a season of transition in ministry for me. And uh, uh, I, I felt, we felt that God was calling us into something, something different than what we were doing at the time. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to go and get, a, get some clothes made for you. Clothes that won't fit anyone else. So this, so then, and then they, they put my name in it. It says, this specially tailored for Trevor Meyer. Give me a number. It's not, it's not the mark of the beast. <laughs> so now I can call, now I can call, I can call the company and I can give them my number. They got all my measurements and I can just go ahead and boom. It'll fit. It's, and so this coat, it might look okay on you, but it looks the best on me. Because <laughs> it was made for me. God's calling and purpose and destiny was made for you. You need to dress for it. You need to put it on. Put off the mourning and put on the praise. Ah, in that same passage of scripture, it says there, it says, verse number 10, I will rejoice greatly in 
the Lord. My soul shall exalt my God, in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he's wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. He changed, he changed his clothes. I'm telling you, the promises of God, what God is, wants to lead you into and he has for you, you can't wear the same clothes that you wore before. You got you to you get rid of that heaviness. You got to take it off. Take it off and put on praise. Stand in your salvation. <laughs> Receive. You've, you've got the robe already. You just need to put it on. Robe of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, do you remember what you did? What you're doing is you're just going like this. You're going, taking it off, and you're going back into the funk, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I don't deserve that. I'm just an orphan. Ah, robes of righteousness. I deserve everything God has for me. Because when he looks at me, he sees his son. He sees Jesus. Listen, if God sees Jesus when he looks at you, what does the enemy see? He sees Jesus, I'm telling you right now. But what he does is he tries to whisper to you and put thoughts in your head. We said this, there's a Chinese proverb, you know, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. And so these thoughts that come, these negative thoughts and things that you don't deserve that, that what you're doing is you're just, you're, you're not standing in the clothing that you're actually wearing and you're taking them off and you're putting on all this other stuff. Oh, that's right, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, no, I'm a saint who sometimes sins. All right. See, this is very simple, isn't it? What's the next word that he did? What's the next thing that he did to, to walk into his breakthrough? Boom. He worshipped. Notice the process that, that happens here when he, as, he's, as he goes through this progression. He gets up. He washes his face. He anoints himself. Changes his clothes. And worships. And you, you, you'll, I, I know that we, we don't worship to get anything from God. But we worship him because of what he's done and who he is. But yet when we do worship like that, it's in that place where we worship. Once we've, we've done this, we've, we've let, you know, washing and anointing and changing clothes. And then we worship. And when we worship him then, it's like we just get a greater, greater revelation of who he is and who we are. Worship is like a two-edged sword, you know. As we worship and experience him and, and magnify him. So David's, David does this and Praise works like a magnifying glass. Worship works like a magnifying glass. It causes what you're focusing on to get bigger and be magnified. So if I'm focusing on my problem, that's going to be bigger. Some people worship their problems. In fact, if you're sitting in a funk right now, I would challenge you to make sure your affections and your attention is on the right thing. Where your gaze is, where your attention is, that's worship. What has my attention? What has my affection? That's worship. Whether you like it or not. So, so, and what you focus on gets magnified. That's why I, I, I shared it earlier. Psalm 34. He says, David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. See, this posture down here like this, fear, whew, this posture here, I'm the king of the world. What movie was that from? That's what I thought. On the front of the boat? 
that what it was? Yeah, okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Here's what um, Charles Spurgeon said. My happiest moments are when I'm worshiping God, really adoring the Lord Jesus Christ. In that worship, I forget the cares of the church and everything else. To me, this is the nearest approach to what it'll be like in heaven, in that place of posture of worshiping, experience, experiencing heaven in it. All right, and then what about this one? This is where we're going we're gonna to come in for a landing shortly. He worshiped, and then after that, what did he do? Eat. He ate. Hmm, what are you talking about? Psalm 36 Psalm 36, 7 and 9. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill on the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink from your river of delights. For in you, with you, is the fountain of life. And in your light we see light. You see, it says there, they feast on the abundance of your house. David then, as he worshipped, he did all this stuff... And I know in the natural it says that he ate because he hadn't been eating. He, he was fasting. But take this prophetically. Take this scripture, uh, you know, take this spiritually, as it were, to, in the middle of all that stuff. Because what happens is, I, I guarantee it, I've lived long enough to know that when stuff, when you stay down in the despair and the discouragement, you don't feast on the abundance of his house. Because it's so difficult to feast on the abundance of his house when you're concerned about all this stuff. It's just difficult. It's challenging. I, I know that one all, all too well. But, but, but David then, he, he did, went through this process, and then he went and he ate. He took food. But I want to I be in that place where I get up, I wash my face, I anoint myself with oil. Mm. I change my clothes. Yep, I worship. And then I just continually just eat and feast on the abundance of his house. Whew. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feast on, we're going to do that this morning. As we, as we, as we uh, receive and experience communion. Let's go to Mark chapter, or sorry, John chapter 6. This is great, in John chapter 6. <laughs> well, you can, I'll, I'll let you forsake a time, I'll let you read it on your own later, the whole thing, but uh, you should just feast on John chapter 6, that would be a good homework assignment. So, there's a miracle he feeds a bunch of people, bread, fish. And then they went and they got in the boat. And um, <laughs> this was good. When they invited Jesus into their boat, uh, immediately it landed on the other side. That's pretty cool. That's a whole other word. The next day the crowd came standing on the other side and realized there had been only one small boat there. Jesus hadn't, and Jesus hadn't gone into it with his disciples, but they'd gone away by themselves. So how did this work? And uh, anyway, long story short, as you read on through farther down, and you can pick it up in verse 48, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. I am the life-giving bread. Your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But this bread, this is the bread that comes down from heaven, that, you'll only, that, that you may eat of it and never die. I myself am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And, I all, and, and also, the bread that I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
And the Jews angrily contended with one another, saying, how, how is he able to give his flesh to eat? Of course, they're thinking about cannibalism and the, 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 the um, ceremonial uh, uncleanness of all this stuff that he's talking about. And Jesus goes on, and he said, he who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, will, will, will that, that, uh, my blood has, ha, uh, has eternal life, and I will raise him up from the dead on the last day. For my flesh is true, genuine food, and my blood is too, true, genuine drink. 56, he who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood dwells continually in me. And I, in like manner, dwell continually in him. So the thing he's talking about here is you need to feed, feed on the right source. And Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the wine. And so David, I think, you know, it says that he ate there. But spiritually speaking, you want to get up out of your funk, you need to start feasting on Jesus. You need to start feasting on the bread. As you feast on the bread, as you eat Jesus and drink the wine of the new covenant, when you do that, what's happening is you're reminding yourself that he's actually in you and you're in him. Listen, you, you are what you eat. What are you eating? What am I eating? Well, a bag of chips late at night in bed. <laughs> you know, listen, I'm not, that, that's, that's, if you want to do that, you just go ahead. I'm not bashing you for that. But my point is, he's saying, this whole thing is you can eat, you can eat me. You can eat my, I am the bread from heaven. Feast on me. Eat me. Drink me. I'll be in you and you'll be in me. There's a union in the communion we're going to receive, we're going to experience in just a few minutes. But he said, it says there, David ate. All right, so nudge your neighbor and say, you got to eat. And then the last couple, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say a lot on them. I'm just going to say this. Um, it says at the beginning there, it says that then he went and he, he, he laid with Bathsheba again. So the, the thing that he thought was so good died. He got up out of that funk. He went through a process with God. He, he got his life back on track in the right direction. But then he had to, he had to go back then and in order to step into the promise that God had for him, he needed to engage in intimate relations with Bathsheba again. It's like this, when, when, when um, Adam and Eve were in the garden earlier, you've heard me talk about this before, but <clears throat> Cain kills Abel and, and Eve and Adam are completely distraught. Their, their hearts are ripped out. It's like suffering the loss of a child like that. Uh, although he was older by here, by then, but it was like, it was still, no matter how old the child is, a loss of a child is just deeply uh, painful. And it says there in Genesis chapter and verse, I don't have off the top of my head, but it says, and Adam knew Eve again, and she bore him another son. And that, that's the thing that had, you, you've got to, that's why, you know, this last weekend we were, we were in the immersion, we were talking about allowing God to heal hurts in our hearts. Because a lot of times what happens is when we carry hurt, we carry disappointment, we carry pain, we don't, whatever, for whatever reason, we just, we don't, it's like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to engage or put myself out there in intimacy, whether it be with the Lord or even with other people. I don't want to trust, how can I trust again? Because I was so hurt by the last time I put it out there and trusted. I was just hurt. So I'm just going to sit back and put walls up. But listen, outside of intimacy with God and even with people, we're not going to bear fruit. 
You can't bear fruit. You can't, you can't fulfill dreams and live destinies outside of intimacy. And so that's why it's so important. So, so Eve is wrestling with this. And then it says, but, but Adam knew Eve, yada. Be still and know, Psalm 46. Be still and yada, know that I am God, that he is God. Same thing. Adam knew, yada. He, she knew Eve, uh, Adam knew Eve, and she bore him another son. And so the, the things carry on. It says there earlier, we read it earlier in Samuel, we read that, that David lay with Bathsheba again. So he went in, and so in, in, in your situation, make it just personal for you, once you've done these things, and understand that this is not, I'm not trying to give you a formula, I'm just trying to give you some tips to help you get out of what you're in right now, maybe. Uh, you know, like here at Catch the Fire Winnipeg, I feel like, and I've talked to many, many people, but we've been through a lot of stuff lately that's been, man, really, like, what's going on? What, what, you know, this is happening, and that's happening. This person's not here. They're gone, this and that and everything else. And uh, in the middle, I don't know if you noticed, but in the middle of all that, um, we had Finial was here, and he began to prophesy about what God had in store that completely lined up with prophecies that we've, got, we've, we've had from years, even before we started Catch the Fire Winnipeg, you know. So there are all these things, all these promises and prophecies. But in the middle of it, it's like, oh man, this isn't going the way I thought it would go. But in that moment, corporately for us as a church, we need to get up. Get our eyes off of, well, it's sad. We, we, we mourn the loss. We mourn that. We're, we're sad for that. But don't try to resurrect something that God didn't intend to live. And I'm not saying people are dead or people, but God brings people into our lives for seasons at times. He brings someone into your life for a season and it helps you in some area or whatever, you help them. And then sometimes they, they go on. It doesn't mean they're not part of the family. I've had people talk to me. I mean, we've, I've heard a lot. Of, I've, I've heard a lot. <laughs> I've had some people talk to me. Somebody came up to me and they said, hey, thanks so much for taking the hits. And I'm like, well, leadership does that. If you're the tip of the spear, you get everything first, usually. <laughs> Sometimes it comes around in the back. But anyway, uh, but I, I said to them, I said, you know, um, we're, we're trusting God for where he wants to take us. And we're so excited about that. Sometimes people come in our lives for a season, for a purpose, and then it's out. And as I said to some people, even people that, that have said, hey, we're, 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 we don't feel we should be here anymore. We're going to do this. We're going to get involved in this ministry or whatever. I've said to many of them, I've said, you know what? I said, we bless you in Jesus' name. And some of them weren't real happy either. I'll just be honest. <laughs> they weren't very happy. And they said some things. And then I just said, you know what? I said, we're still part of the same family. We're going to spend eternity together. You can't escape. <laughs> but as a church, I want to. I want to just. I want to. I want to tell us as a church. So individually, where you are personally for breakthrough for God's promises, these are excellent keys. But for us as a church, I just want. I want to let you all know what I've done, what Mel and I have done. Okay, we got up. I'm still standing. We're we're. We're, we're washing our face. We're anointing ourselves. Mm. We're changing our clothes. <laughs> ah, thank you, Lord. We're standing in who we are. We're changing our clothes. Ah, we're worshiping. And we're feasting on Jesus. Mmm. 
And then what David did, he, he went in and, and, and he knew Bathsheba once again. And now more than ever, my heart and my prayer is that we as, as a church especially would just walk in such intimacy and depth with the Lord and with one another. And it's interesting, like one thing, one, one thing I said, the, the greatest thing for me about the immersion uh, this last weekend was to see we had, we had um, eight different people presenting at the immersion. And I was just like, man, and, and I know, and a lot of them did a lot better than I did. You know, like I thought, ah, you know, we always, you know, when you do something, you, whatever it is your task it is that you're doing and stuff. But Mel and I have talked about it. We, we've, been, we've been talking and praying into it. We're like, Lord, we want people that are, that are in, you know, in the church and in places of leadership and if they're preaching or sharing, that actually people would like to listen to them even more than they like to listen to us. So once in a while, we just share a little bit here and there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. But I'm saying, I'm, like, the deal is, folks, is that um, everything that we do, and God's dream, here's the thing, God's dream is not so much about you. God's dream for my life is not so much about me. God's dream for my life is for me to walk in obedience and fullness, and I'm going to enjoy it. But the purpose, that he may be glorified, that God would, God would, people would look and say, Wow, God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, so, so anyway, so it says there, so intimacy. He knew his wife. And then here's the last thing. Uh, real simple. We saw it on the, on the slide at first, but have another baby. <laughs> have another baby. It's not that, I'm, and listen, I'm not saying that, that, that it's a whole new ballgame or anything, but in other words, be fruitful. Continue to be fruitful. Don't, don't, don't dwell in the, in the death of something or something didn't work out the way you wanted it to and it, it hurt and it sucked and it wasn't great. But guess what? Do these things. Wash your, get up, wash your face. Get up off that thing and, then, and feast on him. Praise, worship, wear the right clothes, washing of the word, intimacy, and have another baby. What happens when, when a baby comes? Jesus talked about this. He said, you know, when a baby comes, there's such pain before the coming of the baby. And then when the baby comes, the mother forgets about, the, it's like, as soon as you're holding that child, you forget, it's like, I don't know, moms, is this kind of true? It's like, the, the pain that you had doesn't, it's, it's not even, it's not even, it's not in your head anymore. It's like, and maybe later things are a little sore and uncomfortable, but, but are you hearing what I'm saying? Like that moment when you're holding that child, it's like, Oh, I'm glowing. Yes, you're glowing. And then it's the glory of God around me. This child, look at, we got a baby. Wow. And I'm, when that happened to us three times, I'm like, oh, dear God. Yes, I, that's awesome. But oh, wow, I think life's changed. <laughs> yeah. Have another baby. Neat thing about parenting and having another baby, having a baby, is that um, all, your life changes so drastically, doesn't it? Because before, it was like just you and your wife or whatever, you and your spouse, husband, wife, whatever. You and your spouse, and you could just do kind of what you wanted, you know. We'd go to late movies, like 10.30 at night. We'd just go to the movies, and it was just fun, and just do whatever we want, go to Six Flags. We were living in America at the time, and just do whatever you want, kind of like, hey, you want to do, okay, let's go, boom. And then all of a sudden, you get a baby. And so when our first came along, we wouldn't take car rides just to go to a movie or take car rides to go to uh, Six Flags. We'd take car rides because this dear thing was colicky, and she wouldn't stop crying. 
<laughs> I was thinking about that this morning as you're up here singing, Janelle. I'm thinking you're like singing and something like, wow, I heard that voice before when you were just born. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bet. Get the kids. Parent, okay, parents, sorry. Parents, if you want to get your kids for, for, from Fire Kids, that'd be great. I, won't, I promise I won't share anything too important while you're gone. But it's so true. And so that's what happens. I feel like, I feel like for you personally, I feel like this is a personal word. How many would say, you just say, you know what? I received this word this morning for me personally. Anyone, does it hit them? Yeah? That's good. Let's take a vote. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, but I want to, let's stand up together this morning.